The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Brutal Nation. As you guys already know, this podcast series is dedicated to lesser-known serial killers and acts of true crime. God, I'm fabulous. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is Tammy Underwood. seated much? Hi, everybody. Because I'm super duper. Conceited much? Scott? I don't see Patrick Kearney writing you letters, just saying. I didn't write him. I would do all kinds of things for Patrick. Dude, there's a bunch of them. I, I really, I think, you know, since we've started getting some responses back, I think I'm just going to send out a shit ton of letters because I have a <laughs> lot of questions for people. No shit. All right. So today we finally get to finish up. We are finishing the doodler up with the part doodler. three. So do me a favor. Doodle me. I have no response for you right now. Doodle me so good. Yeah. So um, hang on. Okay, now remember, there's already four victims. Mm -hmm. We have the guy who moved from Canada, who was, you know, basically all alone. That's right, eh? And then we have the um, drag queen who was born in San Francisco. Super duper. And she, you know, this guy was the limit for her. Um, Then we have um, Klaus, the German. We had Klaus, yeah. Yeah. And then we had the guy who, the. Military guy. the I think he was Army, and he was in Vietnam and had the Medal of Valor and everything. And um, that's when they brought in the Soul Brothers, the ones who had a 90% close rate on their cases. You know what I mean? Because we black and we back and on well, the Well, and attack. it's like instead yeah. of referring to them by their last name, so this whole thing, I just kept saying Soul Brothers because it was so much easier to type. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's where we're at right now. Okay, the Soul Brothers had just taken over, and they thought that, you know, everybody thought they'd get the job done. They should, man. They're black, and they're on the attack. Dude, yeah. you're weird. Okay. Boogie on. So, now we have a fifth victim. And it was a hot summer day when a hiker actually came across a decayed body just as the sun was starting to set. Um, the coroner figured the man had been stabbed and slashed to death. Uh, he had more, more than likely been laying out the elements for around 10 days before he was found. But was he, he doodled? Found. That's my question. Yeah. Was he doodled? Okay, this is the whole thing. This guy was found 10 days later, where oh all God. the other ones were the next day. It's a lot of decomp, man. Right, and especially in on the hot heat. Day? And, yeah. yeah, on a summer day in California. Um, and it'll <clears> kind <throat> of explain why. Because this one was actually located at Land's End. It was on a slope located across the road and a little ways down from the Lincoln Golf Course 16th hole that they had there. Um, I knew her. Huh? I knew her. Shut up. You knew 16th hole? I knew 16th hole. Oh, yeah. He passed that a long time ago, Scott. Um, It was close to 6 in the evening when the hiker happened upon the remains, and they were what happened is they were tucked amongst the bushes, and they were hidden by the branches. Oh, that makes sense. That's why nobody found him. Yeah, the area was well secluded, which made it the perfect location for one to commit a crime such as this one. It was an ideal place for muffling the screams, and it offered a cover away from potential witnesses. All right, so the dude was not stupid. No, not by any means. It's like he's very organized. Very organized. Right, unlike a certain person that I can name that we just did with the first name of Joan. I know, right? Dumbass. (laughs) I'm, yeah, I'm so stuck on that. Just, just fucking. How he yeah. went from organized to disorganized. It was insane. Yeah. And uh-huh. I'm so pissed off at his attorneys. But hey, but <laughs> we need a new trial because, you know, uh, it wasn't fair. It's bullshit. Yeah, Fuck right. You. So on a normal day, one could stand in that same spot and feel, I mean, look out because it was kind of on a slope and everything and feel like they were getting the best view of the world. You know, they'd have the Golden Gate Bridge and all that. And seeing what they thought, they'd only see on the front of a postcard. It was a beautiful location that never should have been, have seen the horrific accident that occurred approximately 10 days prior. What gets me is nobody smelled it. Well, that's the thing, though, because they would have to be kind of closer to it because it was outside. But then you'd think people golfing on the 16th hole would have smelled it. I don't know what normal people's olfactory senses are like. I know. Not everybody is like you, Scott, who can freaking tell what seasoning is on the fucking meat <laughs> on a grill. 
from a block away. Like yeah. literally. Literally. Like literally, he did that one day, and I just away. was like, you know what? Exactly I almost wanted to go and ask him if they were the right seasonings, but I, I didn't. bet you I would have hit it almost, probably perfectly on the nose. Yeah, almost. Well, I, like I said, I wanted to go ask, but then I'd look like an idiot. <laughs> um, however, um, when the location was actually looked later, looked at through the lens of a detective's eye, it was easy to figure out why it was a prime location. It he didn't have to worry about somebody coming to help the victim because there was no one around. I mean, it was a very, like, desolate... There were no houses, nothing like that around. A smart move from the doodler. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, so, I got a little respect for the guy. Not because of the killings, of course. Right, no, but... but I love um, it when things are thought his out. His organization, his, you know, methodical practices. Right. Now, granted, he's not as good as Patrick Kearney. <laughs> Just saying, because yeah. I'm hoping that someday Patrick can hear these and... Realize I know, right? Much and I maybe truly, we can like print transcripts and stuff because I have a transcript program. How now. much I truly adore this man. Do you? Do you? I do. I, I do believe I'm you. I'm still reveling over the handwritten letter that I got from him because it's just so articulate. And it was personal. It wasn't typed. It was very personal. It's very personal, and he, man. And he addressed your letter, which means he actually read it and took the time to absorb it. Yeah. And yeah. I know that we're on the doodler, so just keep on going. Yeah. I'm still reveling. I'm looking over at the letter right now, and just that's my pride. I know, possession. right? Like seriously, that letter I value it more than even my collector's guitars right now. Wow, that is how much that letter means. I know, to me. and you know, yeah, because you know they have auctions for like prison. Stuff like that, people, There'd you know. There'd be no chance in but hell. I know, I was going to say, but I know that there was... Like, literally, yeah. somebody could offer me a million dollars right now. Right. And I would look at them and go, you can kiss my fucking ass, walk right. your goddamn ass out my house. Well, and, I mean, I kind of feel the same way about, you know, because I have a signed Michael Irvin double-sided movie poster from when he was in uh, Longest Yard. What's a Michael Irvin? Michael Irvin was a, he was a, a Dallas Cowboys football player. And I, oh, he the was one, back, the one he, star team. Gotcha. Yeah, he was back in the '90s with the triplets, the Aikman, Smith, and Irving. And so I really, and I used to have an Aikman signed helmet, but I gave it to my brother who passed away. I should have asked for it back because nobody in that family. Right, so liked continue him. doodling. Okay. Anyways, on June fourth, nineteen seventy-five, is when the body was discovered, and due to the lack of identification on or near the remains, the man was known only as John Doe Number Eighty-One. Which tells you that's a lot of fucking John Doe's found in San Francisco. No shit, man. Yeah. So it would be a few days before authorities would find out the name of the Doodler's fifth victim, and it was Harold Gullberg. It wasn't John Doe? No. Oh. And as the detectives arrived at the crime scene, the first thing that jumped out at them was since the body had been there for so long, it was, like, covered with flies and maggots. Yeah. And the next thing they noticed that it was clear his throat had been slashed, like, like, clear through, like, ear to ear. Excuse me, but the, with the last name of Goldberg, he does sound like he's a Jew. No, he's Scandinavian. Very Goldberg, Jewish. G-U-L-L, not Goldberg. Mm, he still sounds like a Jew. Well, Goldberg is more, yeah, Jewish. Harold fit the profile of the other doodler victims. He was a homosexual man. He was discovered at a spot known for sexual hookups. He was killed with a knife of some sort. And at 66 years of age, he was a little older than the other victims, yet he was close enough to, in age to fit the demographic. And he was discovered with his pants unzipped, but he wasn't, didn't have any underwear. So they couldn't determine if he was the type of person that didn't wear underwear or if the jeweler took him. Maybe he's like Tom Petty saying about, he's saying free falling, but I always say, free falling. I'm free. I know, you used free to sing it to, that way too. Then. Whatever, dude. <laughs> I wonder Don't if Tom knew people do that when you say Probably. So as they were interviewing people in the bars around town, everyone told the Soul Brothers the same thing. The night of the murder, a well-dressed, smooth-talking man wielding a pad and pen was making his rounds once more. Now, you'd think word had gotten around, right? Because they had already started after the four, third and fourth victim. Yeah. That kind of be leery. Okay, so if you saw him doing it, why didn't you call the authorities and say, I On think this is On top of that, you would think that somebody in the bar would have said, excuse me, what was his name, Harold? Yeah, well, Harold, this, yeah, Harold, Harold is the guy that was talking to, yeah. Excuse me, Harold? You don't okay. want to talk to him. You don't want to talk to him, okay, because there's a guy with an art pad who's doodling people and killing them. 
Okay, just saying. Just saying. Okay, like somebody should have at least like fired a warning shot or some shit. Instead, you you know, instead they're like, yeah, you know what? He's gonna die. Granted, the news wasn't covering it, but rumors were spreading. You know, word of mouth rumors. Uh, Rumors spread faster than the news can ever spread. There is nothing. I mean, you can't even emergency broadcast faster than you can get fucking gossip spread in the Midwest and South. Gossip spreads faster than a hooker's legs. Dude, I'm telling you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, because when shit. I skipped school, I knew my parent, my aunt and uncle knew before I even fucking left that day <laughs> that I was skipping school. But they didn't tell me they knew until I got back. So, um, <laughs> so although people were starting to refer to this man as a doodler, nobody yet could was able to give them a good description of the man in question. Which, once again, makes no fucking sense. It, it tells me that he's very like ordinary. Nothing really stands out except for his pad and pen. Even so, though, you would think, okay, this guy, you know, somebody would have a description like, he's a white guy. He had tan skin. He had blue eyes. Or, you know, uh, he was wearing a members-only jacket or whatever the fuck they had back then. See, and I, um, yeah, because I heard, I mean, I saw a documentary thing about, you know, eyewitness accounts. And they said if somebody is very ordinary looking and, you know, plain, like, normal everyday thing without anything distinguishable that stands out people can't really describe what they look like but everybody knew that he that 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 the doodler was out and about and they they even confirmed that to the soul brothers saying well you know we did see a guy with a pad and a pen pen." and they already know these people are dying and nobody I, i just find it hard to believe that nobody took the time to sit there and go Hey, maybe this is the guy. Right. It's very similar. What what can I tell the cops in case this guy he's talking to turns up dead? Exactly. Okay, well, what can I tell? He's a he's a, a thin guy, or he was very muscular, or he yeah. was. He or was, even if you notice him in the bars, just call you know call the police and say, "Hey, look, there's this guy going around sketching people in this bar. I think you need to check him out." Yeah, something. I'm, something. That's what I'm getting at. Is something, but they they know what what's going on, but nobody can give a. Even the most basic information yeah. about this is he white? Is he black? Is he Asian? Is he is he Hispanic? Anything? Is he tall? Is he small? Right. Exactly. That, I mean, just, that was my. I'm kind of baffled. That's why. That's why I'm kind of yeah, stuck. Me on too. That. I I was too. And but I'm wondering if it's because they never called anybody or did anything because I was a gay bar and it was still basically illegal to be gay in San Francisco at the time. You bet. But you wouldn't even have to say that you're gay, though. You, you could no, just but say, have like, them come down to a gay bar. Everybody there would be busted for being gay. You could just, well, you know, even so, you could just say, "Hey, man, I wandered into this place by accident." You know, yeah, dude, I, I just thought it was phone. a bar, <laughs> and it was a, you know, it's a gay bar. I had no idea. Like, okay, for example, if I'm in a bar that specializes in fat white bald guys, <laughs> okay, do they have those? <laughs> they should, because I'm fabulous, and they should have one just for me. Um, and I'm hanging out in there, and there's been a string of murders of fat, bald, white guys. Yeah. And I'm sitting in there, and let's say it's the same thing. A guy's sketching people, and that's kind of like mm-hmm. what's been the common thing. I would take the time to go, okay, yeah, he's a fat, bald, white guy. But what's he wearing? Oh, hey, he's, he's wearing um, blue Adidas shoes. Right. And um, he's writing with his left hand. Right. Yeah, that's how he's sketching. And I saw that he was wearing... Um, Levi jeans or Wranglers. Yeah. You know, a, a basic, basic description. Yeah, I would a flannel at least, shirt or whatever. And, yeah. and glasses. Maybe he wore glasses. Something. Right. I would be paying a bit of attention to where I can at least give a basic description. Yeah, he had, his nose kind of looked like this. You know, <laughs> it wasn't sharp. It was like a blunt. Kind of like the person hook nose. <laughs> yeah. That runs in my family. There you go. Yeah. He, he had a hook nose and uh, he had a goatee and it was kind of blondish red. Something, you know what I mean? And that, yeah. th- that's what I'm getting at with this, is that they know this shit's going on. Right. But they're sitting there going, um, we just know that he had a sketch pad and he sketched people. And not even, because the sketch pad itself is very innocuous. Right. You know, until now when everybody knows that the sketch, that this guy's sketching right. people and it's very common. Right. What you're going to notice first about somebody is, especially if they're, if they're sketching, if he's left-handed, you're going to notice that. Right. Okay? Um, you're going to notice things like if he's wearing glasses, his skin color. Oh, that's definite, yeah. You know, is like I said, is he white, black? What color is he? Right. Um, 
you're going to notice key things. Right. And I, I mean, in the same documentary, it said that when the first thing people notice and sticks in their mind when they see somebody to describe them is A, the shoes and B, the, you know, like the shape of their eyes. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm getting as basic things. And I and always notice, as, as soon as I see people, I do look at their shoes. <laughs> it's like habit for me. I need to, honey, that does not match your yeah. outfit. Those um, heels do not go with that dress. No. Mine do. <laughs> they always Super do. Super fabulous. With your lipstick and everything. That's right. Um, no, but you know, and that's why I'm just, I'm, I'm just yeah. totally fucking baffled. Me too. Especially in a gay bar. Yeah. Because you got to think, yeah, there, there's, there's the kind of gay guys that, that you would never guess are gay. Right. But there's also a large majority that are super feminine, like the kind that, you know, I kind of make jokes about. Yes. Including my friends who are super feminine. Right. You know? I mean, you do have the super feminine ones that, you know. That's going to be the first thing they fucking notice. Yeah. Is, what is this person dressed like? Is he dressed like Donald Duck? Is he dressed like a business executive? Right, because they and nobody notice can say those shit? things because they're like, not only are they homosexual, but they're also uh, metrosexual. So they notice clothing and you right. know, stuff like that, like fair skin or whatever. They and notice like I said, it. That, that, that's why I'm having a hard, pro, uh, hard time with this one because yeah. not a fucking person could say if he came in with a mohawk. Right. Or if he came in with a shaved head or was he wearing a fedora or a baseball cap, a yeah. jacket, shoes, shirt. It's almost like he's walking into these places and all you're seeing is a figure with a sketch pad. Right, and like he's a phantom. Nobody <laughs> fucking sees people that way. Yeah. Nobody. It's like he's fucking a phantom. Nobody you know? sees. Blind people yeah. don't even fucking see people <laughs> like that. So it makes me really question what the fuck yeah. is going on. Exactly. Well, and I agree with you. So, like I said, and then very little back in 1975 was known about Harold. It wasn't until decades later where more information about him was discovered. Um, Harold was actually born, it says 1908, but... Uh, what the fuck? Is that right? Let me, let me do my calculate, because he was 66, so... 1975 minus 1908 equals... Yeah, 67. So wow. it was probably right before his birthday. So um, he was a Swedish immigrant, and in 1955... He became a naturalized citizen of the United States. He had traveled the world and San Francisco was his home base. And while he was in the area, he actually stayed at the sea, the sea man's <laughs> mission. I, as soon as I saw the word, I was like, I got to clarify this one. I saw that look on your face. And like I can't look, give him this and one. And the last known address for him was actually on 6th Street as CD Motel. I bet you he liked the seaman. I knew you were going to say that. I had to, no matter how you phrase it. You I like know. this even. I know. So um, when he was 16 years old, he managed to acquire forged documents that allowed him to leave his tiny hometown of, I think it's Ekeby, E-K-E-B-Y, in um, Sweden. I'll, I'll go with that. I can't pronounce and it. And he uh, shipped out as a merchant sailor. Oh, damn. Yeah, the only time he looked back was when his mother was dying and he went back to visit her before she passed away. So you know what she calls sail- uh, sailors, right? Seamen. Seamen. I know. I told you he liked the seamen even yeah. from a young age. Yeah. So as he traveled the seas, he worked in the hot, noisy engine rooms of the ships. So sweaty. Yeah. And he actually got stuck in Shanghai under Japanese occupation during World War II. Oh, damn. Yeah, and while he was there, he survived by receiving handouts from the Swedish embassy. And after the war was over, the Swedish government actually went, tried to contact the people who received aid from the embassy to have them compensate them for the money spent. So they wanted him to pay $23,000 for the support he received, and he refused to do it. I would tell him to fuck off, too. I know. It's like, okay, I'm stuck here. You are supposed to be my advocate here, yet you want me to pay for your help when I can't get it anywhere else. I'd be looking at him going, oh, I see what you did here with the bill, and here's my response. Fuck yourself. Yeah, exactly. That's how I would be, too. But when he died, I mean, check this out. He stayed in a mission. His last known address was a seedy motel, which means it was probably dirt cheap. Probably that, like that motel you, that you stayed in in fucking oh, Nevada. Yeah, and in... in uh, 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 
Ely, Nevada. Yeah. The White Pines. Yeah. Which, if you ever go through Ely and you're looking on Priceline or anything Don't go like to White that, Pines. And it says White Pines. It looks very retro on the outside, and uh, it's very, very retro on the, on the inside. Well, it's very retro on the inside. They hadn't changed the furniture since the 1970s, <laughs> and that is evident by the fucked up carpet and the uh, the shower the shag head carpet. The, the shag carpet that used to be shag, but is no longer. And, and the, the shower they had the spigots. <laughs> yeah, it had like a pole spigot, like you would use uh, out in your garden. Yeah, just a, like a lever. Yeah. Fucking God damn. It's funnier and shit to me. I was grossed out. That's why I slept like three hours and said, fuck this, I'm going to Vegas. So when he died, he actually had approximately $48,000, which is around $220,000 today, in his bank account. Oh, nice. Yeah, so he was living on limited means, you know. But what... What good was money when it didn't appear to be... and When he didn't appear to have any family and friends around to miss you when you were gone? It's like, okay, you have all this money, but when you're dead, you can't take it with you. Well, You know, true. but he died alone. Well, maybe he was planning on, like, much like myself, like... Because I, I do have one great fear in life. I really do. I know. It's being poor when you retire. It's No, these words coming out of my mouth. Are you ready, <laughs> listeners? Ready for this? Here's, here's my fear. Welcome to Walmart. <laughs> That is my fear, that I have to go and have a job after I retire and actually have to work. Right. When I retire, I want to fucking retire. Right. You know, I don't want to have to sit there and dick around with a job or go, well, Social Security says I can only work 20 hours a week. Right. Bullshit. I want to be able to get on a plane, go fishing back in Florida, you know, in Georgia. Yeah, and... you just want to enjoy your retirement. Right. I want it all to be booze and hookers. I mean, what's wrong with that? Might as well be the same as it is now, right? Pretty much now. Except you just my... want to live the continual lifestyle. Yeah, except I don't, you know, I never have to pay for hookers, which is good. Yeah, well, so you say. I'm probably going to pay for them when I get old and all wrinkly, but. Probably because your balls will sag and your dick yeah, won't get hard. That's right, man. <laughs> I'd be like, I got Viagra and saggy balls. Now <laughs> come play right. with them. Here's 20 bucks. Yeah, dude. Um, so anyways, um, so in 19, I think it was 2018, uh, when, and I, I know you like the same, when Fagin was able to get in touch with one of his relatives. I still love that I name. I know. Another, it was another family member that did not want to be named. It's like every single victim, they had a family member that they first got in touch with that didn't want to be named. And you know what I mean? It's very much a homophobia. It is. And you know? it's really sad that that still happened in 2018. Though. And I actually hate using the word homophobia because it makes it sound like, like you're afraid of gay people. No, but, but it's, it's, yeah. It's just, some people just flat out don't like people because of their preferences. Or they don't want to, like, seem, like, let it be known in public that they're associated with it. Right. It's like, oh, yeah. if it, somebody in my so family like is gay, that makes me gay. Ostracized. Ostr- I can't think of that. Ostriches? No. <laughs> <the> <laughs> ostracized. Yeah. Ostracization. There we go. I couldn't think of the whole word. But yeah, that's what it was. It was a fear of that. But you would think that that would be gone in 2018, though. Oh, no. It's still alive and kicking. Oh. There's a lot of people who sit there, and I hear them all the time, you know, Screaming about the gays and how they're ruining right, the world that, and all kinds but, of bullshit. You know, yeah, I just, you people know. are people. Yeah. Um, she said that she often because it was her. He was her uncle, and she said that she often thought of him over the years. She wondered what kind of life he had so far from home. You know, because nobody knew after he left what kind of life he was leading. Well, apparently not a life at all. He was found dead. I mean, uh, well, you know, even much living that, going on he there, was, like living on limited means and. A home, a home he more than likely left due to a sexual orientation and the need to hide it from his family. Understandable. Yeah. Very understandable. Because yeah. people are fucking assholes. Right. And all of this made Harold an easy target for the doodler again. He was alone. Thus, he was an easy mark. However, those weren't clues that... Those weren't the clues that would point them towards the person who killed him. The lack of clues would soon change. Oh, ready dun, for dun, this? Dun. Yes, I am. The ones that got away. Aha. Yeah. In July of 1975, one short month after Harold's body was discovered, the doodler was going around hunting another victim. This time, he focused on a guy people actually referred to as the diplomat. So you have the diplomat and the doodler. The diplomat doodler. <laughs> and the diplomat was a mysteriously handsome man who was well-known around the gay bars in town. People said that he spoke with an accent, and it sounded like he hailed from some, somewhere in Scandinavia. Okay, now I'm going to pause you right there. And this 
proves exactly what I was fucking saying. They know everything about the diplomat, right? Right. The, he had an accent and he was handsome and da 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 da. And, you know, he's not going around icing people and killing right. them. You know, but the doodler is, and they're going, um. <laughs> um, I can't tell you what right? he was wearing or what he looked like. He may have been butt ugly, but he may have been handsome, but he definitely had a sketch pad and a pencil. That's why I'm so fucking confused right now. Right. Well, it makes no goddamn you're gonna sense. You're going to make a joke here in a minute. And, I, and there was no, there's no way around this. One. Even, I, even more than Fagan. Yeah. That you're going to make a joke about this for years to come. Are you ready? Sweet. So on this particular night, the doodler approached his target at a place called the truck stop. It was a late night diner located at Market Street. And when a nearby gay bar closed around 2 to 30 a.m., people would congregate there. The gay bar was known as the rear end. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's almost as good as the gay bar that I actually want to open. What is it? Bend over something? I, the acronym is going to be B-O-B-S, Bob's, and it's going to stand for Bend Over Billies. Yeah. Because it's a catchy name, and I bet You're going to name it after your cousin. <laughs> Sadly, he's retarded, but not gay. Um, I love you, Billy. Um, but I bet you that people come from all around mm-hmm. just to get the swag from Bend Over Billies. Can you catchy. imagine if you, I mean, yeah, you go to a gay bar called Rear End, you're going to buy a fucking t-shirt that says, I was at the Rear End. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know? This has been my, I've had, I've actually been working on this for like 10, 15 years. I want right. to open up a gay bar, and I'm not even gay. Right? But it's such a marketing opportunity. Anyway, tell me more about okay. your Rear End. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is at the truck stop. But anyways, the ruse he used to pick up the diplomat actually wasn't a personal sketch this time. It was one of an animal. And that didn't seem to matter. Did the trick. Um, it wasn't long before the diplomat left with the doodler and they wound up at the upscale Fox Plaza apartments a few blocks down the road. The apartments were where the doodler, I mean, the diplomat lived. When they walked in the door, the doodler said, asked if he could use the bathroom. And when he came out, the diplomat had his back to him. And when the man snarled, he said, you guys are all alike, right before he stabbed the diplomat in the back six times. Holy shit. Yeah. In his report to the authorities, the diplomat stated that the guy tried to stab him in front too, in front and back like the other victims. And he knew when the guy said, you guys, he clearly meant gay men. He's a gay hater. Yeah. And I kind of get into that a little later. And the diplomat only survived because the blade of the knife broke off. And this distracted the doodler enough for the diplomat to shove him against the wall. After that, the doodler just ran off. With this attack, the doodler had left the authorities with a clue. With him saying the phrase, you guys, it was clear he had some sort of anger and hostility toward that involved homosexual men. Yeah, that's only obvious. Yeah. It was a little over a week later when he went back to the Fox Plaza apartments, the doodler did, and he managed to make his way into another man's apartment located on the same floor. (laughs) This time, he had his victim tied up, preparing to kill him when he again made a reference to all gay men being exactly alike. This man managed to scream so loudly it drew the attention of his neighbors who started pounding on the walls and the doodler fled. Okay. A little while later, he attempted to strike a third time, only to fail a third time. This time, he targeted an actor who lived in San Francisco, and this victim was getting ready to go to bed with the killer when a knife fell out of the man's coat. <laughs> and um, that was all it took for the victim to run. Yeah, the victim's like, um, this ain't acting, uh, motherfucker. Out of here, motherfucker. Yeah, I'm gone. Yeah. So with the three failed attacks, authorities felt like they would finally be on the trail of the killer. It seemed like they had witnesses who would testify in court should they find a suspect. However, since it was 1975 and the sodomy laws were still in effect and the fear of ostracism, that's the word I was looking for, in the LGBTQ community, the three survivors refused to testify. They said, even if you catch them, we will not get on the stand to testify. Gee, many Christmas. So if they did, they risked losing everything, their jobs, their families, their reputation. Okay, no, that actually true. makes sense. It makes, yeah. it, that, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So Harvey Milk, who was the activist for gay rights, who was the first uh, public of, homosexual public official in mm. San Francisco area, who was later assassinated, 
Um, as he was on the rise in the Castro district, weighed in on the issue. He publicly announced his sympathy with the fear the three survivors felt at the thought of testifying and being outed in the community. Well, yeah, if you're going to lose everything, including if you're living yeah. in an upscale apartment and everything, you can lose that all just because of your sexual yeah. orientation. Yeah. I can, okay, I, mean, I can understand why. Yeah, employment, everything. They would lose everything. But what about now in 2021? Would any of them be willing to testify against the killer if he were apprehended? Um, Fagan and his investigators tried to find each of them to see what their answer would be. They hit a brick wall when it came to the actor. They contacted about a dozen who had been in the San Francisco area during the time. And each one either said no way or get lost. They never acknowledged that they were the ones. 2021, guys, if you're listening to this yeah, podcast. Yeah, 2018, 2021, yeah. You're not going to get busted. Yeah, you're not going to be ostracized. You're not going to. I mean, we all know Rock Hudson was gay. We don't think less of him. And even if you're afraid of your family finding out or whatever, they can kind of keep it. They're just looking for information. They can keep it on the down low mm-hmm. for you, man. Yeah, they also quickly discovered that the second victim attacked at Fox Plaza had died a long time ago. So that left him with the diplomat. So everyone they spoke to would have known him who would have known him in 1975, said he looked as if he were a foreign diplomat. If they did hear his name back then, nobody remembered it. Okay? Fabulous. Yeah, all that Fagan and his team would discover was the man was still alive and he was keeping to himself. When the cold case detective, Detective Cunningham, reached out to him, he made it clear he wanted nothing to do with the press. He also told the detective the same thing he told the Soul Brothers in 75. He was angry with just the idea of having to deal with this case at all. Wow. Yeah. However, despite their reluctance, when it came to their testimony, they did give a gift of sorts. All three gave matching descriptions. Therefore, by October 1975, a sketch artist had the first composite that that would be distributed all over the city. Well, good thing, man. Finally, yeah. somebody paid attention to what the fuck he actually looks right. like. And this one gave a lot of detail. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it says the suspect was a black man between 19 to 23 years old. He was last seen wearing a black knit cap, similar to what we think of as a beanie today. He had a slender face with high cheekbones and calm eyes that were kind of wide set. It wasn't long before all the B-cops had a copy of it and they were on the lookout. Okay? So, shortly after the sketch was distributed, um, they thought that they had a really good solid lead. On November 20th, 1975, an officer, James Andre Bowles, was he on... He had the bowls for the job. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Right with Fagan. Yeah. Um, he was on foot patrol in the Castro, on Castro Street, when he noticed the, the, some guy. Something about this guy was hinky, almost as if he had something to hide. He was holding his arm stiff at his side, trying to conceal a a bulge, the long peacoat he was wearing. You know, it's you really just keep sad. on feeding me into this, don't you? We have Fagan. We have the rear end. <laughs> we have semen. We have a bulge. Yeah, we have a bulge, yeah. and we have bulls. Um, when bulls zeroed in on him, he thought the guy resembled the sketch of the doodle suspect. So he had the man up against the wall, so he could find out what he had up his sleeve. <laughs> what his bulge was all about. And when he patted the man down, he found uh, what he was trying to conceal was a sawed-off baseball bat. And he had a curved knife in his, in his pants pocket. In his pants. Yeah. So Bulls got him down to the station and was booking him. He found some more evidence. The evidence he found was a slip from a pawn shop for, what, for a watch that had belonged to Fred Caput, and the doodlers, who was the doodler's fourth victim. He gave homicide detective his report and waited to hear something, yet he never heard back from anybody. As it turns out, this guy, um, despite his extensive rap sheet, was eliminated as a suspect. Too many things weren't adding up. And it, when it came to the pawn shop slip, it was just a bizarre coincidence. The watch from the pawn, shop, pawn slip was actually stolen from Fred's apartment in the Castro before he was murdered. So, since the man was known to hang out at the informal markets where thieves hawk their wares, he could have gotten it anywhere. So, he had the bulge, but not the right bulge. Precisely. You need a bigger bulge there, brother. Dude, you're, you're driving me nuts. Even though this him, didn't pan out, the Soul Brothers still felt they were close. 
through keen detective work and their street smart charm, they were starting to get a clearer picture of who this killer was. It didn't take long for the tips to start coming in. Although they didn't pour in, they started to trickle a little bit. Like from the bulge? Shut up. Did he have a drip from the bulge? I'm going to hit you. He might need uh, Dude, medication. Dude, I know. Medication for the drip. Yep. Yeah. In addition to the guy Officer Bulls brought in, 15 other men were brought down for questioning. Some of the men who picked of the men were picked up at local gay bars after people saw them drawing pictures, which terrified the patrons around them. Makes sense. I'd yeah. be terrified, too. Yeah, me, too. There was also one guy who was caught carrying around a butcher knife in addition to a sketchbook with drawings in it. Sadly, none of these leads panned out. By mid-1975, the doodler had the whole community completely freaked out. Everyone there felt helpless, especially since the murders were committed on top of the attacks of the community of the people that didn't that didn't seem to end. They were getting beat up all the time. You know, they were getting harassed by the police, you know, and then the doodlers out there killing them. Right. Right. Something just occurred to me. Yeah. On a serious note, I'm even going to joke because I just did the zebra killers or the zebra Mm -hmm. murders. That's only a year after the zebra murders, which was a black Muslim group right. that was an extremist hunting down white people. Right. I don't think Muslims really embraced the gay very much either. No, but uh, you'll, you'll see something here in a minute. I mean, towards the end, I, I really get into something that makes total sense. Okay. Yeah, which is something I was kind of like had my theory to begin with. So it was like really shocking that they had the same theory. Um, everyone was starting to get paranoid. Because even though the cops knew gay men in the area were being victimized, they were still quite hostile towards the, you know, the community. That's when the community itself got proactive. They developed their own neighborhood watch of sorts when they began what they called the whistle movement. Shut up. When they walk. Everybody in the gay community began to carry a whistle with them wherever they went. So if they ever ran into trouble, they would just blow on their whistle, and hopefully another member of the community would arrive to help them. I'm going to start blowing a rape whistle. I'm going to hit you. That's my plan. From now on, when we're recording, I'm going to wear a rape whistle. When I feel like I'm being raped, I'm just going to blow my whistle. Raped by who? (laughs) The ghost? You never know, man. You could be be verbally raping my ears right now. You don't know. Yeah, I probably am. However, the authorities weren't just idly sitting back during this whole time. The Soul Brothers were hard at work. Oh, oh, wait, I I missed a paragraph. The whistle movement soon morphed into what they called the Butterfly Brigade. This is where volunteers (laughs) patrolled the areas where members of the LGBTQ community lived and Lived and played mostly in the Castro District. And fluttered around. Wait, these volunteers wore robes and carried walkie-talkies so it would be easy for someone to find them. I, I, when I read that, and this is sad to say, and I'm not trying to offend anybody, <laughs> the first thought that popped into my mind is Captain save a <laughs> Yeah. That's... Put your cape away. Um, <laughs> but, and that's just something I say to my friends all the time. So, however... Like I said, the Soul Brothers were hard at work. After they sifted through the 16 suspects that were brought into the station as a result of the sketch, they came across a hot lead. The lead started as a phone call in October of 75. A woman had called in to say she knew a man that matched the sketch, and he lived in the East Bay area. This tip wound up in a slush pile. Okay? However, when it seemed that nothing was being done about the tip, the woman became irritated, and she called back 10 days later. At that, and at that time, she was a little upset. On this call, she provided the person who answered the phone with a license plate number of the person she suspected. This call got somebody's attention. As the Soul Brothers were working on developing a profile on the man who owned the vehicle, they received yet another phone call. This one came in a, in a week after in the, la- the last one, and it was a secretary working in a psychiatrist's office, and this caller told them that the same guy the first caller identified was being seen by her boss. He was tr- her boss was treating him. Okay? Uh, she claims the man told his psychiatrist he was responsible for the three Ocean Beach murders. Oh. Yeah. Okay. A mere three days later, the psychiatrist called. He told them he worked in Oakland at Highland Hospital, and he claims this patient was seeing, he was seeing was seeking help to deal with the self-hatred he felt regarding his sexual orientation. 
during his session, he divulged some uh, rather incriminating things, and in some way, he admitted to the Ocean Beach murders. Detective Sanders, one of the Soul Brothers, reached him by phone. However, Detective Guilford, the other Soul Brother, went to see him in person. That's right, brothers. You go so, see him in person. Guilford says that when he questioned the guy, the suspect, the man freely admitted to the struggles he had regarding his sexual identity. However, he claims that his, the sessions he had with a psychiatrist cured him. And he now had a steady relationship with a lady friend. The man is still alive after all these years and still living in East Bay. The cold case detective, Detective Cunningham, interviewed the man again in 2018, just like they did in the 70s. The man denied being the doodler, of course. Since this is still an open case, the detective won't release the guy's name. It was If he were to do so, it could compromise the case, cause the guy to go into hiding, or render key information useless during court proceedings. It makes sense, yeah. It does make sense. So... Fagan knew if he wanted to go further with the case, he would have to find the psychiatrist. Now, the only thing they had was a little handwritten note, like a sticky note, that said, Dr. Priest, Psych Highland Hospital. Okay? This psychiatrist claims that he had a confession from someone who resembled a man. Most importantly, he had a name. I see what you did there. Priest, confession, little Catholic thing going on. Actually, I didn't do that did he, on purpose. Did he specialize in little boys? Like- like the Catholics do? Shut up. It, just asking for a friend. It was, it was just coincidence. I didn't realize it until you said something. So every <laughs> avenue my brain Fagan goes. and his private investigator went down trying to track down the psychiatrist seemed to lead to a dead end. Then one day they were going over an article that was printed in 1977 issue of the Chronicle when something caught their attention. And this is where my theory was in the very beginning. The suspect that Detective Guilford questioned admitted he experimented with homosexuality, but with the help of a psychiatrist, he had been cured. When they were they looking for a gay conversion therapist? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I was thinking this guy was, you know, to me it was like when in the beginning I was thinking he is a homosexual man that is angry at himself, or he's a homosexual man, you know sexual orientation and he's trying to have sex with people right. and he can't perform. Right, right. Yeah, no, you know, man, I thought it, it those makes two perfect avenues. sense, you know? Yeah. And he didn't want to go pray the gay away like the good Christians always right, do. Right, so he went to a psychiatrist. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. I'm hip to the scene. Yeah, so this, and this was a damaging practice that is now legally banned in California and in the 1970s it was a fast-growing national movement and the organization pioneering the way in the barrier Bay Area was called Love in Action. Although they weren't gaining any traction trying to locate the psychiatrist that was supposedly treated the suspect, everyone they talked to said their theory made a lot of sense. The cold case, Detective Cunningham went back to the case files to have a closer look, and this time he approached it with the gay conversion therapy in mind, and he came across something that seemed rather random when he saw it before, and he found, but he had found the name Reverend McClay in the suspect interview notes. So, did this guy go to church and Reverend McClay referred him to the psychiatrist? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, makes sense with yeah. the priest and little boys and I can't understand. He didn't say Father McClay. McClay. <laughs> However, the only thing the cold case, the detective could do at that point was go hunting for more information. This was quite a daunting task, considering the cases from the 70s, everything was handwritten um, and stashed in paper folders, stuffed in boxes, stored in a giant warehouse. Although one might assume everything was well organized, like in boxes on shelves, like they show in the TV show, wrong. The things were often taken from one box and placed in another and forgotten they had placed it in it, and so it was in the wrong box. So they had to go through every single box in this warehouse. Okay. I know that feeling. I've had to go through several boxes myself. To find the papers you were looking for? <laughs> no, just to see if I destroyed them. You're so dumb. <laughs> All these boxes were stored in a building that the cops referred to as Building 606, but Fagan referred to it as <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark Warehouse because it was so cavernous. Um, so uh, the cold case detective started searching through the hundreds of boxes in December of nine. December 2018, and he returned to the Dusty Warehouse day after day, week after week, and from my understanding, he's still going through paperwork. 
Um, let's see. But things are like... Okay, they figured if the man was still alive, he'd, he'd at least be in his late 60s, but could be in his 90s. However, after doing some more investigation, Fagan and the detective found another potential lead. This came in the form of another potential victim. They also started receiving tips from all around the country. If the tips panned out, it could show that the doodler went outside the Bay Area. Now, the potential six victim, I'm not going to get into a long description of it, but I'll have it on. He was actually found near Land's End as well. Okay. However, um, this man was attacked. Uh, he was beaten. Okay. And he didn't die. He went to the hospital. He was in a coma. And his family, who lived in Seattle area, uh, flew him back home, to, and he died several months later. Okay. So he was considered an assault first. But when Fagan and Cunningham went back out to the area, they noticed that it was, like, very slippery and, you know, the slippery slope kind of steep and everything. So if there was a struggle and the dude would drop the knife, what would he do to – he would grab a rock or a branch, right? Yeah, that would make the most exactly. sense, Exactly. Yeah. And at this crime scene, they not only collected a rock, a bloody rock and a tree branch, they also found a handkerchief that had blood on it. So they didn't know if the doodler had wiped his hands or not on this handkerchief. Oh. So what they, but this is the key. Since it was an assault and not a murder at first, they had everything in an assault file, and they're hoping that it was put into a murder file later because the assault files aren't kept for very long. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, so they're still on the hunt for those items because if they find it, they can get a DNA sample from this guy who's still alive to this day. And see if it matches. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Um, okay. So um, where did it go? Okay. So this, they're not calling him a suspect anymore. They're calling him a person of interest. Okay. However, you know, because back in 1977, he claimed he was cured. However, in 2018, he's embraced the fact that he's gay. Gambulous. Okay. There's one thing that makes him a person of interest more interesting. The doodler may have committed murders outside the Bay Area, and it, it appears that after the te- detectives questioned him in late 1975, early 1976, he left sh- for a short period and traveled through the South, south the East Coast, and the Midwest. Um, so Cunningham sent out a national law enforcement query through the FBI, and they received a call from a guy in Louisiana... Um, who said that uh, the composite sketch for the doodler is a guy who they were looking for who killed somebody in that area. There you go, man. Yeah. There's a lead, um, brothers. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, down to the, the description of the suspect, down to the knit cap and the rage behind the stabbings, as well as the pickup at the gay bars, point to a possible connection that they are really looking into. Um, there's a few other promising leads from around the country, and they feel they're one step closer um, in regards to the psychiatrist angle as well. After making several dozen phone calls and filing, you know, the Freedom of Information Act, uh, report, you know, requests, um, they found the they think they have actually found the real name of Doctor Priest. So. They believe they narrowed their search down to a psychiatrist who practiced in the Bay Area, who worked at Highland, and um, he had a high sense of civic responsibility. So if he thought somebody was actually a killer, he would risk his doctor-patient confidentiality. Oh, okay. Okay. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. And um, the doctor in question was actually, his name was actually Howard Priest. And since Detective Guilford tended to write things out phonetically, <laughs> he may very well have talked to Dr. Priest. Okay. Perhaps that lead didn't go past him wanting to be involved, you know, pointing the authorities towards this patient because maybe he did fear uh, further violating his doctor-patient privilege. Or there could be more detailed notes stashed in another random box that they still haven't found. Uh, one thing's for certain... Dr. Priest died in 2005. Ah, goddamn. What they're doing is is that he left some files. You know, his family, oh, okay, some yeah. of his family members have some of his files, so they're going through that. 
And they're contacting more family members and friends to see if they have files that oh, they can go through. That's good. Okay. Um, so here, here's where we're at. The biggest questions that are still in the minds of everybody currently working on the cold case are the same question I have for you today. Can they really track down the doodler? After, do you think they can track him down after all these years? We've talked about possibility and probability. Right. Is it possible? Yeah. Yeah, everything's possible. Any, I believe that the Loch Ness Monster is possible. Nessie. <laughs> yeah. the look. However, let's talk probability. Right. The probability of Nessie being found fairly low. Yeah, because she likes to hide like the Sasquatch. That's right. Much like the Sasquatches, except for El Sasquatcha, who leaves me road burritos. Um, the probability of catching him, sadly, and I really want to have Fagin, you know, uh, give him the kudos and, and say, yeah, you can do it, but... Right, and he can't go into the warehouse to help search. It has to be, you know, the cops only. Right. The so. probability is very, very, very low. Right. And even if you do discover who this guy is, let's say that his name is uh, John Doe. Right. You John do- Doe 82. <laughs> yeah, John Doe 82. Right. The chances of him still being alive. By the time they can, Yeah. Is still going to be fairly low. You gave me a, an age range from sixty-five to ninety. No, that was the doctor. That was the oh, that was a doctor. psychiatrist. Yeah, this okay. other guy because back in nineteen seventy-five. Oh wait, yeah, I was like, why am I doing it wrong? I was trying to get my calculator here. So back in nineteen seventy-five, if he was twenty-three years old, right? You'd take um, nineteen. Oh wait. 2021 minus 1975 equals, and let's go high end, 23 years old. He'd be about 69 years old. I can't win. I cannot fucking win today. Boys and girls, let's recap. We now have 69 (laughs) on the table. We have a man with the bulge, but not the right one. And And a guy who loves the semen (laughs) at the rear end. With the... Investigative reporter named Fagan. With an investigative reporter yeah. named Fagan. I mean, Fagan. That's why I said Fagan. Oh, yeah. F A G A N, Fagan. Could be Fagan, but I'm going to call him Fagan. He's just Fagging it up. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and I see what you're saying because if they can actually look, if by slim chance they can actually, I mean, because I'm picturing this huge warehouse packed. You know, because you have to figure all the murders that happened in the 70s alone. Well, also from ceiling to floor. Something just hit me is that the doodler is also leading a dangerous lifestyle. Right. Because, yeah, he's got some victims. But what if the victim has specialized training? Maybe he was in the military. Well, like Fred was. Frederick was in the military, remember? Which one's Frederick? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Four. Four. I forgot. And... Is kind of super hyper aware of his surroundings. Right. And the doodler pulls out a knife. He's going to do him in. He does his usual thing. You guys are all the same. You know, you gay guys or whatever the fuck he says. Yeah, you guys are all the same. You know, and all of a sudden, this dude's like a fucking ninja and kills him. Right. It could be a matter of, hey, I don't want to be arrested for murder. Right. And I'm gay. So that's right. not good, especially if he's outside of the gay, uh, the, 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 the Bay Area. I almost said right. the gay area with the Bay I know Area. You did. He's down in like Lozana or anywhere in the South. Where? I said Lozana. I know. Oh, asshole. I just want to hear it again. Um, anywhere down South. And, you know, it could be one of those things like, hey, you get lost in the swamp, you get fed to a gator. Yeah, right. Because a gator, even though they won't eat you, will tear you the fuck apart. Oh, yeah. And then you're just a fucking statistic. (laughs) Right? Like a teenage girl who gets pregnant the first time she has unprotected sex. Exactly. (laughs) Statistic. Statistic. So I'm saying that the probability, because of other extenuating circumstances, is going to, in my mind at least, is going to be fairly low. Right. And even if it is this guy, you know, who they've been in contact with in the 70s and in 2018... You know, the one that has embraced his homosexuality, even if it is him, 
by the time they find the evidence and are able to test it, there's no saying, there's no guarantee he'll still be alive. No shit, he's even in the area. He's damn near seventy years old. He's sixty nine, my favorite age. That's right. Um, you know, he's pretty well got one foot in the grave and one on the banana peel at this point. Pretty much, yeah. Because you know, I guess he's like my grandma and lives to be like. I mean, she was 90-some years old. That was my grandma, man. She lived to be, I don't know, she's like 10,000 years old or some shit. I know, right? I mean, she she remembers when Jesus was hanging out. <laughs> I always ask mom, my mom. We, my brother asked my mom, and we still play it to this day. We go, Mom, was Jesus a junior or senior when you were in high school? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, okay, now my next question is, if he's still alive, why did he stop killing gay men in the San Francisco area? He moved out of town, like you said. He went down. He continued it yeah. through through the south. Yeah, and the east coast and, and the, the midwest. E- and the midwest. So, you know, and I, I think maybe just eventually he got to the age where he's like, I got to quit doing or this. Or embrace his homosexuality. And yeah. Was, you know, because I think once he started embracing it, he would stop killing because he didn't have that, re- that hatred anymore. Right, because eventually maybe he just went, look, I like dick. That's right. just all there is to it. Yeah, I'm and he didn't go have blow that self hatred anymore. So why would he go out and kill people? Yeah, accept yourself for who you are, and mm-hmm. that—that's problem. That might have been what he did. He might have been. Look, I can't change the way that I feel. Right. Um, even though society is telling me that I shouldn't feel this way, these are the feelings that I have. Right. This could have been a deal like that. Okay. Now my next question is: If that's how he felt, you know, he—if he was a homosexual man who hated that part of himself due to. The, do you think that he hated himself due to the way he was raised or the way the society? Probably a combination of both. And I'll tell you why in one moment, because I have to send my son something. Yeah, you have to text somebody, huh? Do, 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 do. Sorry. So we don't have dead air. Ah, yeah. Um, being raised in that time frame. Okay. Right. Um. You probably have your parents talking about the gays to begin with. Exactly. Okay. So that's going to weigh on your mind. And if some, and if a young male child started showing feminine characteristics, his father probably would have beat the gay away. Right. Beat the gay away. I mean, gay and away, I'm not trying to be mean, but that's what they did. No, very true. And so you have that. Then you have society sitting there going, you know, well. It's illegal. It's illegal. You know, mm-hmm. and the faggots and all this stuff right. like that. You know, uh, or the, the goddamn queers or rah, 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 yeah. whatever slurs what that they names. say. Yeah, there's a shit ton of them. You know, um, so that's weighing in on you. And you're like, wow, I can't let anybody know who I really am. Right. And what my preferences are. Right. So once he embraces that, or has, if he has embraced it, if he's still alive, um, that's all the catharsis that he really needed. No, but my question... That was my last question, Scott. Oh, this question sorry. was: Is do you think he was that he felt this way about himself because he was raised that way, like it was oh, ingrained in him from the time I keep he was reading little? Your mind and I or apologize. do you believe that he felt that way after seeing how society both. treated the community? Both. Okay. One hundred percent both. When you're in a society where you're watching people ostracize and literally abuse people that are different, right? And it doesn't matter. And you're getting arrested, just you know. Right, and it doesn't matter if we're talking people who are homosexual, people who are black, people who right. are white, people who are Jew. Uh, it, it doesn't matter when you're yeah. watching a group of people go through this. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you gotta gotta think, man. He's watching all these other gay guys getting arrested, um, and people talking bad about him. He's got these feelings, right? All he wants is to be normal. Exactly. And he knows that he's not normal. Right. So. And, he, and if he was raised that way as well, if it was like in his family, then it's like ever since he started feeling this way, he was. Right. He had the feeling like, oh, my gosh, I'm different. I'm not normal. I shouldn't be feeling this way. So he would develop a hatred. I agree. Yeah. OK. Well, you know, and then my last question would be. um, which we kind of discussed too, but do you think it's possible that he did kill in other parts of the country and they will actually be able to connect the crimes with the aid of technology now? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Because if... Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say that one uh, in Louisiana was dead on him, 
But the way he described it and how everything was almost exactly the same, it almost screams that it was the same. The chances of two serial killers operating at separate ends of the country. Being with the exact ex- same M.O. With the exact same M.O. With the exact same description. Right. Like I said, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying the probability is super High. low. Oh. No, super low. Oh, oh, two separate. I, two separate. I see what you're saying. I've, I've got it now. Yeah, we're talking like below zero probability. Oh, yeah. It, it's insane. You know, it, it's possible. Yeah. You know, but it's like I, a, if, if we're talking real it's numbers, it's like a point zero 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 one percent. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's it's yeah. so freaking low that mm-hmm. if that's the way that it turned out, like, hey, this was two separate serial killers, and they both had the same mo and the same description yeah, same, exactly. Like, I mean, same basic features. Yeah, I would be the same clothes. It'd be insane. I, it would be. I'd be sitting there going, how the fuck did that even happen? Yeah. That's something unique. I would do like a 10-part series just on right. that. Well, and not just that. I mean, even with the freeway killers, even though they had the same dumping tech, you know, style, yes. you know, areas, they didn't have the same MO killing methods. Right. There was only two of them that matched up exactly. out of the three. And right. I always like to point that out because Kearney had class and style. He never tortured a victim. Right. Never, not even once, unlike Bonin and Kraft. Exactly, exactly. And as a matter of fact, I can tell you firsthand, because after reading uh, Kearney's letter, that the thought of torturing a victim literally disgusts this man. Right, Literally, exactly. and I don't even mean that as a joke, literally disgusted him. Right, totally. I mean, I can... Totally and see it. honestly, I feel bad about putting him even in the same group as those three, um, even though they had the same disposal methods. Right. Because those two, Bonin and Kraft, were, are pigs. Well, and not just that, is they were there was a brutality behind their murder. Right, and the torture. Yeah, the torture, the brutality. I mean, they were literally um cutting off body parts while they were still while their victims were still alive. Right. I mean, that and, is insane. And Ker- and Kearney wouldn't even have that crossed his fucking mind. Right, exactly. Exactly. I am now a proponent of both Kearney and Pendram. Me too. I'm 100% proponents of them. I don't agree. I don't agree with what they did. No, me neither. Me However, neither. there's some that are classy and some that are not, and Kearney has class. Right. Exactly. Well, and that's just it right there. I mean, because there's there have been some that we have actually not like excused the behavior because I'll never excuse murder. However, you look at them in a different light. Very much so. I mean, Very you much so. Try to see. I mean, you look at them with a different perspective where a lot of people look at them and say, hey, they killed people. They're bad. Right. Where when you take a deep dive into their past or you take a deep dive into their personality, you can kind of see where they were coming from. Right. No, totally. You know, um, I thoroughly enjoyed reading the letter that that Patrick sent to me. I enjoyed reading it. And I look forward to reading it even more. Yeah, I think that's something. I mean, you're going to have to put it in a plastic cup, a plastic I, I am going to. so that it doesn't like get like worn out. And Just like the other correspondence, I'm sure that him and I'll have because he did invite that. You did, um, and I look forward to to hearing from him a lot more because while and I'll reiterate, I don't agree with murdering people exactly and having sex with their dead bodies, right? But Which you sounds do disgusting. See it from a different angle, but he didn't torture anybody. Yeah, he didn't rape these people. And they weren't raped or anything exactly. like that. And I I find him to be very, very elegant, very classy, and very articulate. Very articulate, very um, he, educated and what shocked organized me, and, you know, What shocked me the most helpful. is unlike a different person that I had written to that I got a correspondence from. Right. Um, Kearney was just, he was just happy to talk. Yeah, he, and he was polite. He wasn't gruff and, like, thinking he was, you know, like, I, I guess the best way to put it is he didn't 
he didn't come across as the fact that he shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Whereas that's kind of the feeling I got from the other one. A little bit. You know, that I shouldn't be here. Read this. I mean, you'll know where I'm coming from and blah, blah, blah. Right. Okay. So I get that. But however, he was almost humble. He really was. Yeah. I appreciate that he actually said in his letter, um, and I can pull it out and quote it verbatim, but um, he said, he basically said that he really appreciated my eye for detail. Right. And, and, yeah. and kind of seeing where he was coming from. And how and you just, didn't just believe rumor, you did your research. Right. And that I didn't do, yeah, exactly. I, did, I wasn't out there believing rumor. Exactly. I, we dive deep. We we dive as deep as we can. And if we can't get deep enough by the time we present, we try to put it in our blogs. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, but as for this dude here, this doodler dude, I'm thinking he, because it's a very risky game that he's playing. Very. And especially if you think about if he's hunting people down the Bible belt. Right. That gets even more dangerous because you're Very. definitely afraid of somebody finding out that you're gay. Right. And um, so it's a very good indication that he might already be dead. He might already be swamp bait. Right. Exactly. It's, it's insane. I just, you know, and it's the unsolved cases I really enjoy as much as the medical ones because you can throw different theories out there yeah and sometimes it's like sometimes you and i will actually because we think outside the box with everything well yeah you know so sometimes we'll actually come up with a theory that doesn't even remotely re- you like look <laughs> like a theory that's already been presented exactly you know and granted we're not professionals no we by no means claim we're experts but you know what that I'm doesn't stop no us from killers. having an opinion Exactly. I ain't so, out there hunting no serial killers. I'm fat, bald, and white. I'll die. <laughs> exactly. All right. We ready to wrap this one here up? I'm done. You done good. You done good. Three parts of the doodler shit. I and know, dude. Do. And it was actually very, you know. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium. Just search at Brutal Nation or Crime Beat, which is another publication on through, Medium. On yeah. Medium. Uh, once again, I just got to look for us, Brutal Nation. We're also on Vocal Media and uh, Hub Pages right. as well. Yeah. Same search, just say, but at Brutal Nation and ta-da, there we are. Do, 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 do. Yeah. And all of our fabulousness. Yeah. This show's copyrighted 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. We will talk to y'all later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.